0: that time of singing of praises. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to the last chapter in the Gospel according to John. John chapter 21. Let's pray before we begin. Father, as we come to your word now, May the words of my mouth offer an accurate explanation of your words. Help us to eliminate the distractions, both internal and external. Give us ears that hear, attentive minds and receptive hearts. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Do you know what a pyromaniac is? My dictionary defines it as a person with an uncontrollable desire to set things on fire. Well, I think there's a little bit of pyromania in all of us. How many of us do not love to sit and stare into the flames of a, of a campfire. Flames licking at the logs, hungry to devour them. Sparks leaping for freedom above the flames. A pillar of smoke reaches upward into the starlit nighttime sky. popping and crackling our music to our ears. We're mesmerized by the fire. Our minds begin to unwind. Our muscles begin to relax, soothed by the warmth of the fire. Someone picks up a long stick and begins to poke at the red-hot coals. There are long periods of silence, but nobody seems to mind. Then finally someone speaks. It's in a hushed and sleepy tone. An expression of their heart. There's nothing to debate. Personal defense mechanisms are at an all-time low. The speech is thoughtful, the listening is sensitive, the feeling, it's magical. You know, I think there's something magical in moments like these that build memories. Memories of all those fly-in fishing trips with my father to remote locations in Northern Ontario. Since the time I was six until I was 17 years old. Memories of those Canada-wide family camping trips. First to the West Coast, where we dipped our feet in the Pacific Ocean. Two years later to the East Coast, where we met the Atlantic. Memories of cold winter nights at Cynthia's mom and dad's. When everyone would head downstairs to the basement and stretch out on the carpet in front of the old wood stove. Memories. Memories of youth retreats. Where the most significant times were often around a campfire on the final night of the retreat. Singing, sharing, laughing, crying and praying. You know, I think there's something magical in moments like these around campfires that build memories that can last for a lifetime. The Apostle Peter may feel the same way. In John chapter 21, we find him huddled around an early morning campfire on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. The nice thing about it was that this fire was already blazing by the time Peter arrived. He didn't need to gather any of the wood and didn't have to waste half a box of matches trying to get the thing lit. He was there by invitation. And he was not the only one invited. But he was the first to arrive. You see, being the impulsive type that he was, he could not wait for the boat... To be put ashore. As soon as the words had escaped the Apostle John's lips, it is the Lord, Peter had put on his outer garment, jumped out of the boat into the Sea of Galilee, and swam to shore. When the boat finally arrived, the others received their invitation to join Peter and Jesus at the fire. The two skeptics were there. Thomas, the one who had refused to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. Unless I see his hands, in his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. John chapter 20, verse 25. And Nathanael, too, the one who had let it slip when he was being introduced to Jesus that he had a hard time accepting the credibility of anyone who came from Nazareth can any good thing come out of nazareth john chapter 1 verse 46 the dynamic duo they were present too james and john the ones that Jesus had nicknamed the, th- the sons of thunder in mark chapter 3 verse 17 There were a couple of other nameless disciples who had repented and become disciples of Jesus as well. All six of them had slipped out into the night following Peter's I'm going fishing announcement. They just couldn't resist the pull of the sea. And now as they reached the shore, these hungry fishermen must have noticed the fresh fish and fresh bread cooking over those red hot coals. In fact, as they approached the shore, the aroma of that fresh cooking would have drifted out over the water to welcome them. No one dared to ask any silly questions like where Jesus had come up with the supplies. But his invitation to join them at the fire included a request that they should bring some of that miraculous catch of fish. In all the excitement and the rush to get to shore, they had left that net full of fish dragging behind them. Peter under the influence of a huge adrenaline rush, pulled the net to shore all by himself. The catch was amazing. 153 large fish, according to verse 11. That would have been well over 300 pounds of fish. But even more amazing to these seasoned fishermen was the fact that their borrowed fishing nets would need absolutely no mending. You see, Jesus had not only provided a miraculous catch, he had seen to it that the borrowed fishing net would require no mending. With fish in hand, the men headed up that pebble beach scattered with small seashells To the waiting fire. And once there. They would look out over that. Deep blue sea. And they would agree. With what the rabbis. The ancient rabbis. Had always said. That sea of Galilee. Jehovah. Has created seven seas. But the sea of Galilee. Is his delight. As they sat with Jesus. Their risen master they feasted on freshly cooked fish and bread hot off the fire and they ate until all were satisfied and then they stared into the campfire please stand with me if you're able for the reading from God's word we begin reading at verse 1 of John chapter 21 After these things, Jesus manifests himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. And he manifests himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of of his disciples were together. Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put, his outer, put on his outer garment he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in, a, in the boat, in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifest to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And flames licked at the logs, hungry to devour them. Sparks leapt for their freedom above the flames. A pillar of smoke reached heavenward into the morning sky. The popping and crackling were music to their ears. These disciples found themselves mesmerized by the fire. Their minds began to unwind. Their muscles began to relax, seduced by the warmth of that fire. Someone picked up a long stick and began to poke at the red-hot coals. There were long periods of silence, but nobody seemed to mind. Jesus finally spoke. It was in a hushed and quiet tone expression of his heart there's nothing to debate personal defense mechanisms were at an all-time low it was thoughtful Simon son of John do you love me more than these Jesus continued to stare into the fire Peter, startled to hear his name, began to look around at the others. A silly grin began to form on the corners of his mouth. After all, wasn't he the one who had just jumped into the Sea of Galilee so that he would be the first to get to Jesus? He goes to answer, but then hesitates as other possibilities begin to flood into his mind. Peter wonder, or is he referring to this most recent fishing expedition that I initiated just last night? Do I love him more than fishing? Is that what he's talking about? That can't be it. Jesus knows that it's been almost two years ago now since I left all this behind so that I could follow him. Luke chapter 5, verse 11. When they, that is Peter and company, had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Or is he referring to my relationship with these other guys? Sitting here around the fire. Now, I admit, these are great guys. And we've been through a lot together in the last two, two and a half years. Good times and difficult, challenging times. But, come on. Oh, I know what he means. He means, do I love him more than these guys love him? That's what he's getting at. After all, that is what I claimed when he tried to warn us what was going to happen to him when he was arrested by those hypocritical and arrogant scribes and Pharisees down in the city of Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31 to 35. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, You will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the other disciples said the same thing, too. Peter looked back into the fire. This sobering realization was burning in his eyes. Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus, without looking up, responded quickly. Tend my lambs. The silence returned. All eyes were riveted on that campfire. Again, it was Jesus who broke the silence. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's head jerked upwards. The furrows across his forehead and between his eyebrows were clearly visible. A confused look was paced on his face. There's a hint of hurt in his eyes as he stared at Jesus. And then looks to the others for support. Jesus' eyes remained glued to the fire. Peter answers much quicker this time. A hint of helplessness could be heard in his voice as he was forced to repeat himself. Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus' response was gentle but but firm. Shepherd my sheep. other men sprawled out around the fire, shifted their their weight, beginning to feel uneasy. The silence returns. But the six spectators are feeling increasingly uncomfortable with the direction this interaction is taking. With heads down, they kind of share glances at one another in nonverbal communication. But before anyone can leave, get up to leave, or say something that breaks the mounting tension, Jesus speaks again Simon, son of John, do you love me? His words cut like a bullet. Tearing through Peter's chest, penetrating his heart, and leaving a gaping hole. Tears flood into his eyes. Peter lifts his head slowly and with pleading eyes, look toward Jesus. The one that he had identified with, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. This time, Jesus is looking directly at Peter. And through tears, Peter finds Jesus' eyes. They're not harsh and condemning, but filled with compassion and grace. Peter's mind races back to another campfire. A campfire in the high priest's courtyard. That night was pitch black. The air was filled with hate, all kinds of evil. And then, before the rooster had crowed to announce the dawning of a new day, Jesus denied his Lord. Not once, not twice but three times. John chapter 18 reads, Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it. And said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of of the one whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again for the third time. And immediately the the rooster crowed. back on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Peter's voice quivers with emotion and cracks. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus affirmed Peter by saying, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Peter, follow me. You know, I think there's something magical in moments like these around campfires that build memories, memories that can last for a lifetime. Peter had built a memory that night in the high priest's courtyard that could have paralyzed him for the rest of his life. Jesus not only forgave him, but he preserved this seasoned fisherman. Supernaturally, just like those borrowed fishing nets that were used to capture 153 large fish. Jesus not only forgave him, but he restored him. Now all of us have been to the campfire in the high priest's courtyard. We've all denied Jesus. Jesus. At one time or another, it may have been something that we said that we can never take back, something that we did that we can never undo, a once in a lifetime missed opportunity, an opportunity that would have glorified God, pleased Him, and made a difference for all eternity may have been impure thoughts nursing resentfulness and bitterness or perhaps the burden of regret and shame beloved we are less than perfect people living in a less than perfect world full of less than perfect circumstances all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God there's not one exception in this room we have all been to the fire in the courtyard of the high priest the good news is according to 1 peter chapter 3 verse 18 for christ died for sins once for all the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to god having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. The New Living Translation reads, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. And because Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and died a horrible death, To take away the sins of the world. John chapter 1 verse 29. Doesn't it matter what you've done? Where you're coming from? Or where you think you may be going? If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I am a sinner. Please forgive me for fill in the blank. And you may need to confess some specific sins that come to your mind. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly giving up your life as a ransom for my sin. Help me to begin to live my life in a way that will please you and glorify my Father. And then come to the fire on the sea shore of the Sea of Galilee. Do not let the sins of your past paralyze you for the rest of your life. Accept God's forgiveness and Jesus' invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Allow him to restore you, As he did Peter, who, by the way, went on to become one of the most significant contributors to the establishment of the New Testament church on planet Earth. Turn with me for a moment to Philippians chapter 2. Dan read a section there earlier. Philippians chapter 2. Chapter 2 begins, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, there is any consultation of love, there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affliction and compassion, affection and and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others verse 6 through 11 is that great christological explanation of the life of christ and then notice beginning at verse 6 at verse 12 so then my beloved just as you have always obeyed not as in my pre- not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of god above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you will appear as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ. I will have reason to glory. Because I, could, I did not run in vain. Nor toil in vain. You and I add absolutely nothing to our salvation. It is a free gift of God. When it comes to salvation, we can do nothing but recognize what Christ has done for us. In the words of John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's it. We repent of our sin, want nothing to do with it anymore, and start trusting Jesus Christ alone alone. For our salvation. That's all we can do. But that's just the beginning. We can do something about our sanctification. That process where we are becoming more and more like Jesus. Notice verses 12 and 13 again. Work out your salvation, for it is God who is at work within you. You may want to underline, if you haven't already, those two phrases the moment we start trusting Jesus Christ alone for our salvation we are indwelt by the Spirit of God God takes up residence in our lives 1st Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12 now we have received not the spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God so we might know the things freely given to us of God we work out our salvation by putting ourselves in places, engaging in activities, associating with people, and developing habits that will invite that indwelling spirit to do his transform- transformational work in each of our lives. And there are true primary means, like tools in his toolkit, that the Spirit of God puts in our hands To help us work out our salvation. In addition to that indwelling spirit. We have number one. The scriptures. 2 Timothy 3. 16 and 17. Many of you have memorized them. All scriptures inspired by God. And profitable for teaching. For reproof. For correction. For training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate. Equipped for every good work. Totally sufficient, this book, the scriptures. Secondly, our fellow believers. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Then listen to this expression of confidence by the Apostle Paul at the beginning of this letter in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Beloved come to the shore come to the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee be reconciled to God and then roll up your sleeves and get to work work out the salvation that God is working in you don't be lazy and I know it's hard work requires intentionality perseverance patience and grace with one another But serve God by serving one another. Fulfill His tend my sheep, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep commission. And as we do that, our lives will please and glorify Him and make a difference that counts for all eternity. Can you imagine? Let's pray. Father, it's quite a a vivid scene. We've all sat around campfires at one time in our lives. And as we begin to identify with these disciples on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee some 2,000 years ago, We're moved by what it could mean for our lives, the implications that are clear. We all need to be restored. We pray that we would accept the forgiveness that you've made possible in Jesus Christ, that we'd repent of our sins, ask for forgiveness, and experience your forgiveness and be reconciled with you, and then leave those things behind us so that we can be restored and by the power of your spirit accomplish the things that you prepared for each one of us to do and then collectively as a local assembly of believers we're so thankful for the gift of salvation and the possibilities that sanctification provide us Thank you for Jesus and for this story specifically. We commit ourselves to you afresh this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.